If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 3. So we're going to be reading 2 Samuel 3, verses 28 to 39. Listen now, this is God's word. Afterward, when David heard of it, what he heard of is the murder when Joab murdered Abner. When David heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. May it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house. And may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge or who is leprous or who holds a spindle or who falls by the sword or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had put their brother Asahel to death in the battle at Gibeon. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, Tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And King David followed the bier. They buried Abner at Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. And the king lamented for Abner, saying, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered. As one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. And all the people wept again over him. Then all the people came to persuade David to eat bread while it was yet day. But David swore, saying, God, do so to me, and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them, as everything that the king did pleased all the people. And so all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put to death Abner, the son of Ner. And the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I was gentle today, though anointed king. These men, the sons of Zeruiah, are more severe than I. The Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. This is God's word. Okay, so what we're seeing here in this passage, David is, is stuck. Okay, David is experiencing a public relations nightmare. Okay, a public relations nightmare. Let me kind of get you caught up to speed if you haven't read this chapter this morning or if some of the details are a little bit confusing. David is king over one of the tribes of Israel. There's 12 of them. David's king over one, and he's in the midst of a civil war. Okay, he's at war with the other 11 tribes, and he just got this most amazing gift. Okay, Abner, the commander of the opposing army in the civil war, just came over and pledged his allegiance to David, okay? But better than that, Abner didn't just come over himself, but he has promised to bring the entire other side over so that David could end the civil war and reign over the entire nation, okay? So David just got this gift. But then, right after that, Joab, who is David's commander, the commander of David's army, Joab connives and traps Abner and then executes him in cold blood. Okay? So enemy commander comes over, makes peace, declares that the whole nation is going to come and serve David, and then he leaves, and Joab goes after him, and David's right-hand man kills Abner. David is in a mess. It's a PR nightmare. The newspapers back then that were written, they claimed that David was in on the plot. 
Okay? The people of Israel were highly suspicious at this point. There was even rumors that David and Joab had staged a fight right before it happened so that David could claim that he had nothing to do with it. Right? And so the nation is nowhere near now trusting David enough to follow him. What can David do? That's where we find David as our text starts this morning. David has to respond to this murder and then also do it in a way that will restore confidence in public opinion. Okay? That's what David is stuck with. And as I thought about that, as I was studying the dynamics of this and the interactions and the relationships, it hit me that, you know, Christians, I think at times, find themselves in the same situation all the time, right? There are times when we also, I mean, Christianity is a public religion. The bummer is that Christians aren't perfect, right? You know, hypocrisy is probably one of the chief complaints that non-Christians have with the church, right? Hypocrisy is probably the chief complaint. And, and we've got a situation where in the public's eye, we got priests who are abusing children, Okay, then we have pastors who preach against homosexuality seeing male prostitutes. Right? These black eyes on Christianity, they keep so many people from taking Christians seriously. Right? I mean, how do you handle it when you see something else in the news, on TV, in the paper, that's a blight on the church, and you know that you have friends who maybe you're going to ask you about it? Right? How do you handle it? How do you deal with all the bad press that Christianity gets? I'm not talking about the undeserved stuff. I'm talking about the stuff that's deserved, right? Where we are guilty. How do you handle that with others? When non-Christians ask you to account for the sins of the church. Okay, how do you handle that? That's what we're going to see today. David's reaction in our text is a really good model for us. Okay, and as he reacts, he's going to teach us how we ought to react. Three points from David's reaction. If you want to take notes, let me give them to you now. Um, we're going to see first that David distanced himself from Joab's sin. Okay? He first distanced himself from Joab's sin. Secondly, David identified with Joab's sin. And then third, David led others to do the same. So he distanced himself, he identified with it, and then he led others to do the same. So first, David distanced himself from, from Joab's sin. This is verses 28 and 29. David responded to Joab's murder by calling it what it was. Okay, he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't try to pretend it didn't happen. He didn't try to cover it up. He said it. He said that it was what it was. He said this was wrong. This is wrong. Look at verse 28. He says, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. What he's doing here is he's distancing himself. From it, He's saying, look, this was wrong. I, I didn't do it. You've got to recognize I didn't do this. I didn't authorize it. I didn't approve of it. And I swear to God, I swear, I call the Lord himself down to be a witness standing next to me that I had nothing to do with this. Okay, David distanced himself from what had happened. He said, look, it wasn't me. I promise, I promise, I swear it wasn't me. I didn't do it. And then he doesn't just, con he doesn't just um, condemn what happened and distance himself from it, but then he curses Joab in verse 29. Verse 29, may it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house. And so he cursed Joab and his family, 
with a five-fold curse. Okay, if you read the verse, you can just you can check them off. You can see one, two, three, four, five. He says, first, I hope that someone in that house for, from this day forward has a bodily discharge. Kind of a weird curse if you're not living on, in the Old Testament. Okay. Um, the book of Leviticus, I think it's chapter 15, talks a lot about bodily discharges. Both men and women had them. And the point here was that when you had a bodily discharge, it would render you unclean, ceremonially unclean. And what that meant was that you weren't allowed to go in to worship God. And so David is saying, upon Joab and his house, may they be forever banished from the presence of God. Okay? Then he says um, that there'd be someone who is leprous in that house. Now, lepers, that was another, it was a skin disease that... Boy, it was really problematic. The big thing with lepers was they were actually put out of the community. Okay, and so David is calling down a curse. May you be banished from the presence of God, and may you be banished from the presence of the community. They had to live outside the cities. You know, and they ended up forming leper colonies that were outside the city. And so David is saying, may you be banished. And then the last three, holding a spindle, falling by the sword, lacking bread. These were curses of death and injury. Okay, holding a spindle was either a form of a crutch. Some English translations say, you know, may you be maimed so that you have to walk around with a crutch. Or it could be that you be relegated to having to make clothing. Okay, which is not dishonorable if you're not a commander of an army, right? For someone like Joab, who is used to, you know, spattering his clothing with blood rather than making it, right? That would have been dishonorable for the commander of an army. To fall by the sword is to die in battle, and to lack bread is to be too, hung, too poor to afford food. And so what David is doing here is he is saying Joab was wrong, and he should bear the guilt of what he's done. Okay, simply put, that's what he's saying. And, you know, and I think some, as they read these, this interaction, they might be skeptical. You know, isn't this David just sort of putting on a public face and playing politics, right? Isn't David secretly in his heart super happy that Abner's now gone because now he was the power on the other side. Now they can just roll in and destroy. A lot of folks are skeptical here. How do we answer that? Well, what David did was the right thing to do publicly, right? It was right for him to distance himself from what was done and to declare curses on Joab. That was the right thing to do for publicity's sake, to try to appease you know, his opponents, his enemies, or you know, folks that weren't going to be his enemies but now are his enemies. But this was also the right thing to do, period. You know, like This was right publicly, but this was also the right thing. To, when someone sins, when someone does something like this, the best thing to do is to confront it, to call it what it is, and to insist that the person who did it bear the responsibility for it. Right. And so I just want to calm our skepticism a little bit that just because it was the right thing to do publicly doesn't mean that it wasn't also the right thing to do. OK. Now, I think for us, this is good for us to read. This is how Joe or this is how David responded, because I think for us, if, if you're like me, we are tempted to cover up the bad things that either we do or people that we know do. And we tend to make excuses. Um but I think David's example is calling us to speak out against things that are wrong. Not to hide them, not to pretend like they're not there, but to speak about them honestly. 
You know, you've got to let people know what you're against. Because if you don't, again, people will feel like you're either covering up or you don't care. And so I know sometimes it might feel like harsh to call someone else out on something or to say I'm against something that happened. But I think if you don't do that, you won't actually be able to let people know that you agree with them that what happened was wrong. Okay, when you speak out and let people know that you're against the public wrongs of the church, for instance, when you do that, it actually speaks to the pain that people feel. Right? Because when the church does wrong, people get hurt. And if we don't call it out, people will think we either don't care about their hurt or we don't understand their hurt. And so we need to call this out. What this ends up doing is it, it builds credibility. When we're willing to call ourselves on our own junk, when we're willing to call ourselves and oppose what's wrong with ourselves, it builds credibility with non-Christians. Most non-Christians that I know would love to know that there's a church in San Diego that's willing to call itself out before it calls anybody else. I think David's teaching us to do that. Now, how do you do that? Well, let me just give you some phrases that you can use. Simple stuff. We just be quick and willing to tell people, yes, that's wrong. I agree with you. In fact, Jesus would agree with you against this. This is not an accurate reflection of what Jesus wants for the church. Okay, when you say those things, again, it builds credibility. And even Jesus did this. Okay, this isn't being overly harsh. Even Jesus himself did this throughout his ministry. He spoke against the religious leaders because they were hypocrites. And Jesus spent a lot of time distancing himself from the sins of others by saying, look, that's not God's way. You've heard that this is how to do it, but let me tell you really the way God wants it. Jesus said, look, don't follow these people because they're hypocrites. And so there are times in life where we need to stand up and defend Christianity against its critics, against the skeptics, against the folks that want to pull it down. But public sins, like Christians also need to be judged. Okay, and so public sins need to be confronted publicly or we'll have no credibility, right? And so we just, tries me, we can't keep problems completely out of the church, okay? We are the first to admit that we are broken people, right? That's why we love Jesus is because he's given us the freedom to be able to say, okay, I have fallen short of God's standard. And it's not because we're overly morosely introspective about our sins. It's just that we're willing to be honest, and so we can't keep the problems outside of the church. But when the problems do erupt in the church, we can deal with our sins. And when we do that, again, it establishes credibility. People will respect the church when it deals with its own problems. Okay? And so part of how we express our faith publicly is by telling people, yes, this is wrong. Yes, I agree with you. No, Jesus would be against this. You're right about the church. It shouldn't be this way. 
Those are all things that we should get used to saying. And I can tell you that from my own experience, the more I lead with things like that, when people have criticisms about the church, when I get defensive, usually then they get defensive and we end up arguing. But when I say, you know what, you're right. I wish we were perfect. Man, I wish we were perfect. Because every time we're not, it puts a stain on Jesus' reputation. And I just got to tell you that you're right. And Jesus also is against, just like you are, against what you're talking about here. And we're hoping as a church family that we're dealing with our stuff and we're trying to encourage each other to not be these, you know, to not be this way. And so, so David distanced himself from Joab's sin. That's our first point. Our second point is that David then identified with Joab's sin. This is verses 31 to 39. It's, it's so wonderful and so well balanced to see what David did because he didn't simply speak out against it, but he actually came near to the pain it caused. Okay? He came near to the pain it caused by identifying with the sin that Joab committed, with the murder. He identified with the murder through public mourning. Okay? He put himself on public display and mourned over what was done. Verse 31, it says that King David followed the bier. The bier is the coffin in the funeral procession. David gave Abner a public funeral, and David himself followed the coffin. He was part of the funeral. Um, We also see that he wept at the grave. Verse 32, he lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And he even wrote a song lamenting Abner's death. So he composes, I mean, so that takes time. He composes a lamentation for Abner, verses 33 to 34. And in that lamentation, in that song that he sang, that would have been taught to others to sing, he repeated that Abner's death was wrong. He's saying, Abner was not a fool. Why? Why did he die? He he died the death that a fool would die. He died a death of a prisoner. And yet Abner did nothing wrong. His hands weren't bound. His feet weren't fettered. And yet he he was killed as though he were either a fool or a criminal. So David is saying how wrong it is. And he says, it's the wicked who have slain Abner. So he's calling his own general out. He's calling his own, his, 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 his right-hand guy, he's calling him out and telling the world and teaching the, the world to sing that he was wrong, okay? And so David, he mourned publicly, but he also, this is so interesting, he also fasted privately, okay? As he identifies with Joab's sin, he fasted privately. You know, after the funeral, In verse 35, this is presumably back in the palace. All the people came to persuade David to eat bread while it was yet day. But David swore and refused. And what we have here is, again, back at the palace, it's like David's folks come and say, come on, David, you don't have to do that anymore, right? You're not in public anymore. It's just us. You're back in the palace. Here, eat something. You You don't have to act anymore like you're mourning. And David's saying, no, I'm not doing this for show. I'm not doing this just to put on a public face so we can manipulate the other side. What happened was wrong. What happened was wrong, and I am deeply grieved over this, so much so that my mourning is going to continue the entire day. 
I'm not going to eat. I'm going to fast because of how awful what happened was. And as I fast, I'm going to plead with God to bring his grace, to help us bring reconciliation and restoration. And so you got public mourning and private fasting. I mean, this is a good picture for us, right? It shows us what integrity is. It shows us that David is sincere. You know, it's, he's the same on the outside as he is on the inside. He's the same in public as he is with his close friends. I mean, it's a call for all of us to make sure that we're also not just trying to learn how to distance ourselves or speak about things in public so that we can somehow manipulate non-Christians to our way, but that we ought to be moved by the, the sins of the church. We ought to be moved when we do things wrong because God's reputation is at stake. That we represent Christ on earth and how we live and how the church in general lives means a lot to people. Right? They get their education in two ways about the church. One is through the press you know, and media. And the second is through the Christians that they know. So it's media and relationships. And if we're something else on the outside as we are on the inside, we have no hope to compete with the media. We've got no hope to compete with the barrage of negativity and inauthenticity and hypocrisy that people get exposed to. And so David identifies. He takes responsibility even for what Joab did. He identifies with the pain. I mean, David was innocent, and yet he publicly mourns. He privately fasts. He is broken over what happened. He's doing what he can to try to identify with the pain of what Joab did, the pain of what Joab did. And and he does this because he's a leader, right? Leaders don't make excuses. They accept responsibility, and they seek to help when other people do wrong. That's what David's doing. He's trying to figure out how can we fix this. And so for us, we want to be quick to confess the sins of the church. We want to be quick about that. Um, You know, the church has been incredibly judgmental. Let me just do some of this myself. We have been incredibly judgmental. We have acted so often like we're better than folks who are on the outside. That, oh, we're Christians and you're not. And we've had a real kind of holier-than-thou Uh, attitude so often, you know, and the church has had people who are fake, that are hypocrites, people who don't seem to understand what real struggling is in life. They seem out of touch with reality. I mean, this is, when we can understand that that's the reality of the church, you know, if you cast, I mean, in in the biggest sense, and you can identify with the pain that that causes in people, when you confess that, it makes people think, wow, finally somebody on the inside understands. Finally, somebody is willing to articulate the pain or try to identify with the pain that I've felt because I've been burned by the church. It seems to me that, <clears throat> that we are most loving. We are most loving when our words and our actions convince others that we understand and care about the pain that they feel. Okay, We are most loving when our words and actions convince other people that we care and understand the pain that they feel. 
and when I think about this, you can't think too long without thinking about Jesus. Because again, Jesus did the exact same thing. There's this passage in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 3 where the whole nation of Israel is going to be baptized by John the Baptist. Okay, John the Baptist appears and says, man, God's going to do a new thing. Y'all need to come and identify with this. He's going to wash you clean and he's going to, we're, we're starting over. John the Baptist, so all the people are going out to, to it says in Matthew 3, they're going out to him. They're being baptized by him in the Jordan River and they're confessing their sins. Okay, so this is a baptism of repentance and confession. Well, then Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. He says Jesus came to John to be baptized by him. And John says, hold on a second, what are you doing? Jesus never sinned. He had no sin. John knew Jesus was the Messiah. He was God in the flesh, come to be the Savior of the world. And Jesus is then showing up to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins? John's like, stop, Jesus, no, don't, don't do this. This is not for you. John says, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you're coming to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented, and he was baptized. What's Jesus doing? Jesus is identifying with the sins of his people. Okay, Jesus did speak out against sin. He distanced himself and said, look, what God wants is not that, it's this. But in the same, in the same life, in the same ministry, Jesus also identified with our sins. In baptism, he came confessing the sins of the people. Right? And not in a holier-than-thou kind of way. There wasn't any flash or glamour about what Jesus... There wasn't a procession for Jesus to do this. But this was part of Jesus identifying with you and me. Jesus said, look, I know that the world is broken. And I know that the people who claim to follow God, they're just as broken, sometimes more so, than the folks who aren't. And I'm coming. I'm leaving heaven so that I can identify with my people. And Jesus' baptism is just a precursor, right, of what he ultimately came to do. He identified not just by confessing that God's people were sinful, but then on the cross. Jesus went all the way to the cross and said, I'm going to identify so close with the sins of my people that I am going to take the punishment for their sin. I am going to set them free by paying the penalty so that they can be forgiven. So you want to think about, you know, the best apologies are when you put your apology right where the pain is in someone else. And that's what Jesus did. He came himself and right where our sin is worst, Jesus stood in that place. And he took the punishment from God. He endured the cross for you. So that if you trust in him, you can be forgiven because he has taken the guilt of your sins. He didn't just come and mourn like David did, but he died like Abner did. Jesus says, look, I am sorry that you've had to suffer. 
there has wrong been done to you. And I want you to know that I'm sorry for that. I want you to know that I mourn over the, over the radical brokenness that characterizes your life. And that's why I came. I came to die so that its power over you could be broken. And the good news is that three days later, he rose from the dead, declaring definitively and publicly that sin's power has been broken. That if you trust in him, your sins are forgiven. And he gives you a power to help you free, to help you go free. I mean, this is where it's that comfort, it's that grace, it's that peace that we experience that allows us to come clean. And so David identified with Joab's sin. Jesus identifies with our sins so that we then can identify with the sins of ourselves and with our brothers and sisters in the church. We don't have to run from it. We can say, yeah, you're right. Man, we are broken. There are things the church does that are wonderful and glorious and have really made a positive impact on society. And yet we've got things in our, in our closet that are, that are wrong and bad and we're not going to hide those things. We're going to be honest because that's the only way that we can find freedom. So David distance identified, and then our last point is that David led others to do the same. This is really verse 31 and 34 where we see this. Um, In verse 31, we see that David didn't just mourn himself, but he said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, Tear your clothes, put on sackcloth, mourn before Abner. And so verse 32, we see that when David wept, um, all the people also wept. And then verse 34, and all the people wept again over Abner. You got to realize that what David did to Joab was incredibly, incredibly humiliating. Joab was feeling really good about himself. Vengeance was satisfied. He got revenge on Abner. And yet, all of a sudden now, he is forced to act like he's sorry. Tear your clothes, put on sackcloth, mourn, weep, all that stuff. Those were all public signs that you were sorry for what happened. And so Joab was forced to act like he's sorry And this, again, gets back to sort of the right thing to do, but also the right thing politically to do. David needed to do damage control, okay? And so he knew he couldn't force Joab to change his heart, but he could command Joab to demonstrate the real position of David's court, okay? And so he made him participate in the public funeral. They went before Abner's coffin in in the procession. David needed Joab to participate in the public declaration. Okay, and so, because David needed everybody to know, look, this is, this was not, I did not authorize this. This was not the position. This isn't our policy to treat other commanders like this. And so David led Joab and the rest of his folks to publicly join 
in the repentance and the mourning. And I think that is an example for us on how we apply this to our lives. You know, we need to realize that we need help to know how to do this. All of us have different relationships and there are different things that come up in the press all the time. You know, things that happen in the church. Sometimes it's public stuff. Sometimes it's just you know someone who falls, right? You know somebody who does something that they shouldn't do and it becomes something that's known in a, in a smaller community. I mean, in any case, we, there are times we need to help each other to know how do we respond to this publicly. You know, if you've got a relationship that is bearing, where you're having trouble because of something public, boy, wouldn't it be great if our church could, if we could help each other talk through how do you do this effectively? What's the best way to handle uh, Prop 8, for instance, a couple years ago? Right. What's the best way to handle when uh, elections happen? How do we position ourselves politically? Right. And when groups get together in the church and say, look, what's the best way for us to handle this? We can encourage each other. Okay, there are going to be times when we need to help each other to know how to respond to other people's concerns about the church. Okay, there are going to be times when it's big things, when it's small things. Sometimes this is going to mean that you as an individual have to come alongside someone else and tell them, look, what you're doing is wrong. Okay, what you're doing is not consistent with Jesus and it's, it's, it's hurting his reputation. Okay, and out of a desire for us to make Jesus look as glorious and beautiful as we possibly can to the community around us, you need to stop doing this, right? That's how it's going to look sometimes. Sometimes it means coming together in a, in a small group um, or on ch- at church on Sunday or lunch afterwards. And you say, man, I've got this issue and I don't know how to handle this. I've got a friend who's telling me this and I don't know how to handle it. Can you help me? Okay. And sometimes the answers that come out of discussions like that are going to be, oh, we need to better understand scripture on this issue. Sometimes it's going to be, you know what? We need to better understand the culture that we're in. And then other times it'll be, you know, we need to better understand your friend that you're interacting with, you know? And so there's lots of ways that we can help each other to know how do we address things that have become public about the church. And so we need to do this together. David led his, his men uh, in mourning and doing the right thing publicly. We need to help each other to know what the right thing is and then how to do that. We need to pray and support each other as we respond to criticisms about hypocrisy uh, in the church. And so when I think about you know, our theme of trying to go deeper in relationships, to me, this passage seems to be speaking about relationships with the world relationships with folks who aren't Christians. This is teaching us how we can be wiser and have better, stronger relationships with people who are not Christian. And part of the way that we get there is by deepening our friendships and relationships here in the church so that we can know how to address the folks who are outside the church. And when I think about this, when I think about what David does and how it applies to us today, I think, wow, like this is the kind of church that San Diego needs, right? These, this is the kind of church that the non-Christians that I know wish the church would be like. You know, what if we were honest and not defensive in public discussions? 
discussions in the office? What if you didn't get defensive all the time, but we're quick to say, gosh, you're right. Our church is working really hard to try to overcome these weaknesses, right? What would that do? Yeah, what if the world saw us striving to live by Jesus's love, but also being the first to admit when we fail? You know, that honesty, that, that kind of honesty and humility, that'll give us authentic relationships. That will help people trust us. And again, that is the kind of church that San Diego needs. And so let's press into that, recognizing that Jesus has loved us and identified so closely with us. That's what motivates us to be willing to do that with the sins of others. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I am sorry. I'm sorry that I have been someone who hasn't followed you in this. I've been quick to get defensive. I've been quick to get angry. I've been quick to try to make excuses or to cover up the problems in the church. And I'm sorry. And I pray that you would help me and us as a church to be a family that is honest to be a family that is not hiding, but lets people know exactly where we are and where we need to grow. Jesus, thank you that when we do that, that turns the faucet of your grace on in our lives. That when we're honest, when we are open about where we struggle, I mean, that's the beginning of it. It's when we confess that we have a problem, that your grace really begins to work and help us grow. And so strengthen us, Jesus. Help us to grow so that we wouldn't cast dispersion on your reputation. Help us to grow so that we would make other people think, man, if this is who Jesus is, if this is what his followers are like, I would like to know this Jesus. And draw near to the folks who aren't yet Christians who are here. We pray that you would help them to see in us a church that's doing our best, to be honest. It's doing our best to confess our sins first. And we thank you for the power that you have unleashed in our lives. We've seen you grow us. We've seen you working things in our lives. We've seen you break the power of addiction. We've seen you give us more love, more patience. We've seen you bring reconciliation and restoration to relationships. And Lord, we ask that you would let that grow and let that reign in this church family so that we would be able to offer something to the city of San Diego. We pray this in your name. Amen.